Oh, another time to get together to worship. We wait all week for this time, don't we? Special, special time to be together, God's people, and imagine being around the throne of God. When we look at uh, where we've been at in studying Revelation, we see that um, there is a throne, and He sits on it, and we will be able to see that with our glorified eyes at that time. In the meantime, we know He's with us. And we want to honor Him by reading His Word. You know, uh, He's speaking to us right here. And it gives us everything we need pertaining to life. Everything pertaining to all that He has planned. As we look in here, we see that there's great revealing. We're nearing the very uh, end of this journey uh, through Revelation. Looks like we've got maybe today and next week, uh, Lord willing, that uh, we will be dealing with Revelation. We've been there quite some time. It's great to be camped out in uh, the area that deals with heaven, the New Jerusalem, where we're going to be and spend eternity. Um, but we know that Revelation is all about Christ. And it's not so much where we're going to be, it's who we're going to be with. And of course, if you're with Him, you are in perfection as we wait for that. Revelation simply means this, the unveiling, the uncovering. It's a revealing, a revealing of Christ Himself. And that's what you have looked at all through Revelation. We started out this book with, uh, in chapter 1, it says the testimony of Jesus Christ He's called the Alpha and Omega in chapter 1, and that's going to be in our text today. He is called, um, you know, of course, the beginning and the end, uh, the first and the last. We see in Revelation 1 the very vision of Christ. We get a picture of what He looks like, in a sense, in His great glory. And then we see that He speaks to the seven churches of Revelation in chapter 2 and 3, and then in chapters 5, 4, 5, you're dealing with the throne and all around the throne, and you have the Lamb, you have the Lion, which is Jesus. And not only is there the Lion and the Lamb, but also in that area is He's called the Root of David. And we'll be looking at that today in our text too. Uh, he opens the seals of the scrolls, I would say he is quite the center focus in the book of Revelation, just in those few chapters. Uh, and he is what this book is about. A lot of things going on there, but don't forget the focus. It's all Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John the Apostle. It's the revealing or uncovering of Christ, and we get to see the very person of Christ here. He is what this book is all about. He is the root and the descendant of David. And He is the bright and morning star. These we will be looking at today in our text. Throughout the whole Bible, not only through Revelation, but throughout the whole Bible, Jesus Christ is revealed fully throughout this book. He is revealed in all the ways that we need to see it in this time period. He is the star of the Bible. He's the bright morning star. He's the star of the whole Bible, the whole story. It's all Christ. And we think about that scarlet thread that runs all throughout the Old and the New Testament that's dealing with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the complete Word of God. It's the gospel of God, the good news. Everything that He is done and given, the good news. He's been revealed. He is the very source of life. He's the beginning. He's the Alpha. He's the first. He's the source of our life. Not only physically He created us, but 
He recreated us if we trusted in Him. Bought and paid for. He's the source of our eternal life. He's the only hope. There is no other hope. He's the only one. That's very narrow, isn't it? Christianity is very narrow. Uh, The way is narrow, Jesus said. It does not accept any other religions. It's only fitting as we get close to finishing this precious book that what we see here is a domination from Genesis to Revelation and He is dominant as the theme in our text today. That's fitting, isn't it, to close out Revelation in that way? In the closing verses, Christ is the center focus and we are keeping our eyes on Him. He is the One. He's behind the scenes a lot of times where you don't see His name mentioned. But to be honest with you, He's not behind the scenes at all. He's at center stage. He always has been. Always will be. And so we continue to focus on Him this morning. How about that? Does that sound like the thing to do? You couldn't be in a better place when you are focused on Christ. Regardless whether you're home or whether you're in your car, if you're focused on Christ in everything that you do, you're at the best place you can be. So that's what we are meant to do here, to remind ourselves, let's forget about all that stuff that's going around us right now, and remember, He is the one who commands attention. He's all these things that we say. Now, let's uh, honor Him by reading His Word in Revelation 22, starting at verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who washes, who wishes, take the water of life without cost. Great God in heaven, thank you for revealing the very person of Christ to us. We have quite the revelation just in this text that we just read that you gave us by your Spirit. Lord, it is immense when we see the I Am. Whenever He is saying His names, descriptions, I Am, the self-existent One, the One who is eternal, the infinite God, Jesus Christ, we worship today. Help us to worship because in and of ourselves and our flesh, Lord, we cannot worship You correctly. May we honor Your Word by understanding it and putting it into our lives. That's why You gave us this Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in uh, chapter 22 here, verse 13. I am. Jesus made a lot of statements about I am. You remember, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. You go on and on. I am. Moses uh, asked the, this voice that came out of the burning bush and who can I say this is and God says I am Jesus is God and this triune God head that we have Jesus is God Father's God the Holy Spirit is God I am self-existent who has revealed himself to his people 
I am the Alpha and Omega, and that's precious to me because the, the store that we once had, Alpha and Omega, I got to go in there every day and remember, this is, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He's the reason why I work, why I do what I do. He's the reason what you do and who you are. He is the one who gave you life. He is the beginning. He is the first and the last. All of that is the same thing in that verse. Whether He's the first and the last, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, we know that Alpha, you think of alphabet. It's the letters that are in the human English language. Alpha, the first letter. And of course, when you think of the Greeks, they would say alphabet or beta. Alpha, beta. Uh, whenever I learned the alphabet, we called it the ABCs. The Greeks, the alpha, beta, AB. First letter, alpha. So, all of you guys got your Greek lesson for the day. This is written in Greek, and to the Greek person to say that he's the Alpha and Omega is saying that he's everything. He's the first and the last, but you will see this kind of language, whether it be in Hebrew or whether it be in Greek, he is it. He's the source of it all. He was here first, and by the way, if I can say he was here before there was a first. He was always here. He's self-existent. He is eternal. Um, it expresses infinity. He transcends everything. Totally transcendent. He goes beyond it all. So to say first is like relating to humankind. Uh, as Calvin always said, he relates to us in baby talk. He puts it into a language that we can understand because God's language goes far and above what we can even start to comprehend. But He put all of this in a way that we, our babies, are hungry for this milk and we get the idea of who He is. He is the very beginning of things, of creation. He is the end of all things. You say, is there an end? Well, the consummation of the plan of redemption finally is consummation when we go into the eternal state. And we've just seen that in chapters 21 and 22 describing the great capital city called New Jerusalem. Oh, I love just talking about that section because it made me want to go there now. And uh, it's okay, uh, I need to be patient because we've got the rest of eternity to be there. Beautiful city. Nothing even like it. We can't even understand the greatness of that. But the consummation is the eternal state and it hits the goal of His very purpose. Uh, so we need to look at just maybe a verse or so dealing with this Alpha and Omega. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, who is that? Anybody who's a Christian, that's like, that's easy. That's just as simple as can be. That's Jesus Christ. He is, He was, He is to come. The Almighty. And this is where cults have problems. And the JWs would say that, well, that's God. There's only one God. Jesus is not God. God the Father or God. There's only one God. So this one, this Almighty is who? God. But the Scripture says He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And if you have problems with that in our text today, Jesus says in verse 13, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And they would say, no, that's God. And then we drop down to 16. I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. He was before David. He was the root. He's the, he's the one that comes after. He was before David. Before Abraham was, I am. That is Jesus. He's eternal. He is God. So the first and the last is found right there. It's one of the great defenses that... Uh, I would use with the cults, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, because they don't recognize Jesus as God.
And that's a major problem, folks. And so that's just the truth. It's spoken here. That's what Revelation is about. It reveals who Jesus is. In all of its clarity, it's not complicated. Even though it's, there's symbols in there that are a little tough to understand, we don't understand at all, but we do know that it's really showing a lot of things who this Christ is and what He's got planned for the future. And 21.6 it says, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's been consummated. This is in the text where it says all things are made new. Whenever the heavens and the earth are burned up and we have a new heavens and new earth, He says all things are new and He says I am the Alpha. I'm the one who started that first heavens and first earth and I am the one who ends it. On the beginning and the end, and then he consummates this glorious new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. Tremendous, isn't it? I am the first and the last. Go back into Hebrew lingo and we go to Isaiah. Right in that section of chapter 40 through 48, we get the deity of Christ. That means he's God. And uh, 41.4 relating to the language that we're using today, who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, am the first. And with the last, I am He. By the way, He's not only first and last, He is everything in between. He's everything. Did you see that though? I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, am first and last, I am He. Isaiah says that. That's what you see in 40 through like 44, 45, 46. I am. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I am God. There is no other God. You keep seeing those verses. And that's after 39 chapters of deep, dark judgment on not only Israel, but all the nations. And then we come to chapter 40 and the light is turned on. And God says, I am God. And then He presents the good news. And He presents the Messiah in Isaiah 52, 53, you know, the, the great deliverer. And that's the promised one. But so 40 through 66, all 27 of those chapters, even though there's some judgment in there, mostly it's like good news. Like 27 chapters of the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? And then the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are judgment. Deep, dark judgment that God will bring the wrath of God. Even though there's good news found in those 39 chapters. God always does that kind of thing. So it's interesting not to press that. But I always, uh, I can kind of divvy up those chapters and kind of get my outline through that for whatever it means. I think it's pretty neat. Isaiah 44 verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God besides Me. Don't you like that? All of those other gods out there that all those other religions have that everybody says, oh, we're all in this thing together. And even so-called Christians will say, oh, well, I'm going that way. And they're going a different way, but we'll all get there together. Uh, they have a different God, and that God really is inspired by Satan. They, there's no other way. God's the only one. And of course, this is found in the Old Testament, New Testament alike. It's what it is all throughout the Scripture. In Isaiah 48 and verse 12, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel whom I called, I am He. I am the first. I also am the last. This is nothing new. We've seen it in Revelation passages before, then we see it in the very last chapter of the whole book, of the whole Bible, and then you go back in Old Testament prophecy and you see the same thing. This is God. This is Christ. So, uh, have we pretty well beaten that pretty good? There's absolutely no hope without Jesus Christ. He is the only one. He's the beginning, He's the end, and everything in between. Alpha and Omega. Back to Revelation 22 now. 
Oh, yes. If, if you didn't know him by any other name, that in itself is a great place to start. Alpha and Omega. Then, verse 14. Blessed. Happy. It's beatitude. Revelation has beatitudes. Yes, because the good news is found all throughout Revelation. Because of Christ. Christ is the good news. And because that He's the Alpha and Omega, to those ones who trust in Him, they're blessed. Who wash the robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. We're blessed. Or, to put it in our vernacular today, to made happy, and I know that that can be really taken wrongly or even sometimes when you say pleasure but uh, he holds our pleasures in his right hand forevermore he's a God of pleasure he wants us to be pleased in him to be washed means that he has forgiven us he's washed us in his blood we have the robes of righteousness we are clean we are pure and we are blessed because we're in Christ. We don't wash the robes ourselves, but we uh, are the ones who He has redeemed and bought. And Christ has done this work. He is the person that we are to see as our life our joy is made complete in Christ. That's where we get our joy. You're blessed because of that. Do you feel blessed today? Well, if you don't, it's because you haven't looked at Christ and who He is. Because He made a sacrificial atonement and it pleased God the Father that there was an atonement made. It was a propitiation and he bought and paid for the ones that he gave to Christ. Only the ones that were given to Christ are the ones that will come to Christ. All of them will come to Christ one of these days if they are given to the Son by the Father. It's a beatitude, this happy, it's the idea of blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful, right? You think of Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And you think of uh, you know the, the Beatitudes. That's what we get so much in Revelation. Blessed. So we've spoken about that before. Turn to Revelation 7.14. There are saints who were wa uh, washed. They were to wash their robes. Revelation 7.14. Actually, yeah, I said to him, my Lord, you know, because John asked, who are the ones who are clothed in white robes? Who are those guys? He says, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They washed them. That means God worked in them and then they took action he gives us the faith. He gives us the repentance. And then we place our faith and our repentance everything into Him because it's His that He gave us. Otherwise, we would continue on in our wayward, depraved way because that's the natural way of man. And so what a blessing it is. Yeah, we wash our robes. We, uh, we put on our clo uh, clothes, our uh, white robes of righteousness. We're seeing righteous in Christ. Our cleansing. Cleansing is found in the Old Testament passages speaking of dirty clothes, clean clothes. It's just an illustration, isn't it? We are in dirty clothes, but He came in and gave us new white clothes, pure. Isaiah 64 speaks of that. Remember I was speaking of Isaiah, the last part of Isaiah, or the second half of it, or however you want to term it? Isaiah 64.6 gives us some good news 
for all of us have become like one who is unclean. We're all like that. We're unclean. We're dirty. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. That tells man's state. Everyone. Except Jesus. That's even John the Baptist. It was the greatest of all the Old Testament saints. That's even Paul. Certainly he talked about that. Boy, did he ever elaborate it on it. Especially in the book of Romans. Ephesians, all the other ones were all unclean. Isaiah knew that he was unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. Folks, that's what you were. And you can say, well, I thank, I thank Dennis Helton because of... I'm saying this to myself. I thank Dennis Helton because of his great knowledge and because of his great wisdom and his intellect and being better than most people because he could choose the way to God. Yeah, well, we have to correct that very quickly because, and this is, applies to everyone, I can't thank myself, even people who believe they chose Christ all on their own at the same time, you know, they'll often say, I thank the Lord because He saved me. And you go, yeah, you got it right. He saved you. You thank the Lord. If you did something, go ahead and thank the Lord and thank yourself too. Do you know anybody brash enough to say, thank the Lord, I thank myself because I really had the, the wits to be able to do such a good thing. See, we are all in that nature. Our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment to God. Well, that says it in Isaiah 64, 6. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. Near the end of the Minor Prophets, here he had Joshua, the high priest. And in this vision here, he has dirty robes. The high priest does. Zechariah 3.3, 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke, said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to me, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. If you're a Christian, that is what has happened. Psalm 51.7, it's the great penitent psalm of David after his great sin. Bathsheba, a year later, he says a repentant psalm, it turns out to be. This is his prayer. 51.7, it says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness. A people on whose heart is my law, do not fear the... Rep- what am I doing? I, oh, you know what? I went to Isaiah 51. <laughs> I'm going, where's it at? It's, this doesn't sound right. It still sounds good, though. That's a good, that's a good one. I write out Isaiah. And I told you Psalms, didn't I? Yep. Now, why would I turn to Isaiah? Purify me with hyssop. That's right. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David knew that as he confesses his sin and he repents and turns from that, he is washed, he is cleansed. He has a robe of righteousness there that has been cleansed. So we go to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. Oh, precious is the flow. There was a reason why I did that song this morning. Right there it is. But with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That is what has cleansed us. The violent death of Christ, the blood was shed. You are placed into Christ. Your robes have been cleansed. The people whose robes are washed or those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, 
They've been placed into Christ because He paid the penalty and the only one that could pay the penalty. It is finished. It's all paid for. Those who washed their robes, they've been forgiven. We are united with Jesus Christ. So we have the right to the tree of life, as it says in Revelation. Now, now we've already seen the tree of life it, it, back earlier in this chapter. We saw the tree of uh, life at 22 verse 2 in the middle of its street. And remember, there is a river going down. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding the fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That's the tree of life. You think of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Now the tree of life is here in this glorious place. The tree of life, it's what... It's kind of like we take vitamins today that kind of keeps us going, you know. The tree of life is saying we have eternal life all the way through. We'll never burn down. We'll never get tired. We'll never sleep. We will never be weak. We will be at our strength constantly. And we look at this tree of life and with the 12 fruits and it only reminds us, can you eat of it? Why not? Boy, that would taste great, wouldn't it? But we won't hunger. But we'll have things just for the great taste or reminding us of what He's given us. Life. Eternal life. 22. Two, that's what that was. And 21, verse 12. Reminding us of this glorious city. Uh, it had a high wall and with twelve gates and the gates were angels and names were written on them which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. And it talks about the gates. There are three gates of the east, south, north, west, what have you. All directions there's gates. And these gates are open. They're open all the time. But yet the only ones who can enter into that are the ones who have been brought into the family of God. And that is our city. That is our city forever. That's our place where we live our lives all in that eternal state there. We've been cleansed. The gates are for the entrance. You go into the gates and you go to the tree of life and the water of life. It's representing this beauty this crystal clear, brilliant, glorious river and tree, and it's just glorious, <laughs> magnificent, the gold shining, the diamonds shining, transparent as it is. How do we describe it? This place, though, is exclusive only. The children of God can go in there. And the angels, and God Himself. It's an invitation all throughout here. It's offered from the Supreme Being. And then to the angels, we've seen it. And also the church. An eternal home for those who have had their robes washed, they're purified. The precious blood of Jesus Christ did that. Are you blessed? If you're blessed, that's what you do. You'll go right on through the gates, the tree of life, life itself, Christ. Now we see the ones who will not enter in. And we've seen this throughout Revelation. Every time it talks about heaven, it'll give us a bunch of verses, then there'll be one verse that says... And it's a question, what about the ones who didn't trust Christ? They don't get a second chance, right? No. They don't get a second chance. This is their only shot. You die once, then comes a judgment. So says Hebrews 9. Well, who's outside? Well, Jesus says this. You get extreme opposites in verse 14. Blessed. And then you get a word of terror. Outside outer darkness 
It's not that they're just outside the gates trying to get in somehow or begging. No, they've already been thrown into the lake of fire. They will never see the gates of heaven. We don't need gates that are closed, though, do we? It says they're always open. By the way, today we even have access to the throne of God constantly, don't we? Outside, though, are these. And yes, it does bring in a feeling of sorrow and grief. For there will be many that we know that will be outside in the lake of fire, wherever that is at. If one sin is not dealt with, if somebody is a sinner and they've not trusted in Christ by this blood of Christ, they can't come in. They are outside. On the inside are the ones who've been washed. Outside are the ones who haven't. It's just as simple as that. You're either inside the gates or you're outside for eternity. Now, it says, here they are. Outside are the dogs. What are the dogs? Well, a lot of times in the New Testament, the dogs are Gentiles or the uncircumcised. Uh, the, uh, the Judaizers even, you know, and you think of uh, them or you think of them saying that Judaism is the only way. And anyway, we go to the law in Deuteronomy 23.18. And boy, does this give an answer to what is going on in our time. It always has. It's uh, part of the human depravity, but this is like really the lowest of the low. I don't say it because I make it up, but uh, in Deuteronomy 23.18 You shall not bring the hire of a harlot or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God for any votive offering, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. This is dealing with, of course, false worship there, but we're talking about harlotry. Harlots were a, a part of their worship. But there were harlots in those days that were prostitutes. And you think of women as being prostitutes. But it also says after that, or the wages of a dog. The wages of a dog. I didn't know dogs were given wages unless it's a bone or something. Here, this is not a dog, animal dog. This is a dog that would be referred at that time as a homosexual male prostitute. They were considered the lowest of the low. That's how the law viewed them. That's how the Israelites viewed them. They are very low. And whenever you have that in a society, it shows where society is at. It's not that one sin is ultimately worse than another because sin is sin. And one sin would get you into hell and never into heaven. One sin, they have to be bought and paid for every last one. But this kind of sin is so obvious and it is a tragedy to a culture. Because once they've gone down that road, those cultures never return. Uh, they really become under the wrath of God which I think really this nation is in in, in a way that uh, has never been before. We've probably been there for quite some time. God has held back. And He's let them do what they do. If you look in Romans 1, that's exactly what you will see. And you see the procedure all the way then to this form, this kind of life. And it's not that we're I or, or maybe... The uh, Sodom and Gomorrah story, that was only one time. No, it's all throughout human history. And those nations, those uh, nations that were big and strong, they fall quickly. Matter of decades. Uh, that was a curse to Israel if that would happen. And so that's the idea there of the dogs. Outside are the dogs, and we understand that, we can relate to that. 
Uh, I'll get to the positive side in that in a moment. You say, what about them? Are they going all to hell then? And we'll get to that in a moment. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers, I think that probably, I, uh, I think that is dealing with drugs. Uh, pharmacia, pharmacy, drugs. We are in a world today that is unprecedented everywhere you turn. It's either illegal drugs or most of the drugs today are legal who have actually been millions have been killed by drugs. And now, of course, we know that the vaccine is really another drug. Uh, I'm not going to hound on it one way or another. I think probably most of you would probably know my thoughts. And if you want to know, you can certainly tell me afterwards. I don't have the elite answer. And uh, I would never put a judgment on, on that because of that. But I can say it is a part of the drug world. The world expects that. You go to a doctor, you don't expect to get fixed up. You expect for them just to take the pain away for a while. And they'll give you something that will not help. What is the root? It will keep going on. The pharmaceutical world are the richest people in the world. Uh, and it goes on and on, and we've heard all of those stories. I don't want to tell stories here. I want to get right back to the word, but that's interesting that that word kind of would come up. But there's always been sorcerers. It's always been those kind of the witchcraft and idolatry, sorcery. They're all kind of mixed together. Uh, in our world today, we definitely see it. Uh, if you go to a doctor, that's the first thing they're going to say if you have high blood pressure. No, they really need to get to the matter. Why do you have high blood pressure? Uh, and what can we do without, first of all, giving you this, and for the rest of your life, you're going to be taking that. Now, am I condemning, you know, see, I'm not even condemning any of these. I didn't even condemn the vaccine, did I? But I will say, why is it that we, it's automatic. Okay, the doctor says this, it must be all right. Doctor says, hey, take this. And they got stuff that will take the stuff out of your veins and out of your blood vessels and such, and uh, it's supposed to do that kind of thing and but then they tell you well there might be some repercussions and you do hear that on the TV commercials don't you I need to get off this subject because there's something better than this but the dogs the sorcerers is this really ringing a bell in our time that we're living in I think it's the worst time ever because drugs are accessible by anybody even the people who are homeless and on the streets they have ways to get to these drugs the immoral don't really have to explain a lot about that. The unclean people, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices lying. Lying. <laughs> Turn on the TV. If you're not with probably a conservative station, I can guarantee you that just about everything you hear, if it's dealing with news or anything, what's going on is a lie. It's almost everything. So if you want the truth, Go to some place where you can hear the truth or realize, okay, this guy's telling a lie, so it's the exact opposite. So you can say, okay, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's right. <laughs> Why bother? Why bother? You know what? I've been condemning these people because of the truth here. I, I can't really judge except for just taking the scripture and here's what it says I know it says in, in Romans 1 get into chapter 2 and you see the depravity of man everybody is in real trouble if they have trusted in Christ uh, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 it gives us a very balanced view on this very scriptural Verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't you know this? You know, you're not ignorant, are you? If you're unrighteous, if you're not righteous, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to get into the gates, right? He says, do not be deceived. Look at this. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's just a little bitty list. What's up at the top? Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. We live in a time of fornication. Pornea, pornography, 
if that is their way of life and that's their practice, that's their way of life, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. If they're homosexuals, they are not going to enter the kingdom of God. It's a great text to use for somebody that says, hey, I'm a homosexual, but I'm a Christian too, and I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He died for my sins. And you say, did you say you're homosexual? Or, really? What does Jesus think of that? Well, Jesus didn't say anything about it. Well, you know, Jesus is the Word, and He did say about it. And He talks about it in different ways, but we can go back to the law. Well, that was Old Testament. But we can go back to the book of Romans. We can go to Corinthians, and here's what it says. Yeah, but that was for that culture at that time. And uh, you mean it changed? You can be unrighteous then? Who are the unrighteous? You can be unrighteous and still get into heaven. That's the way a lot of people would like to think. That's why they have their own religion. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe everything in the Scripture. Well, that makes it convenient, doesn't it? If I can throw away all of those things that I like to do and say, well, I don't believe that part, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I've got a God who uh, says that doesn't apply for me. We know better than that. You know, We can defend it with that. But you go on down through here, thieves, covetous, drunkards, it's really all about the law, and they break the law. Here's the whole deal, though, in, in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed. And you were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. You were justified. You were sanctified. You will be glorified. You know what? You were that way too. Some of those Christians, now Christians in Corinth, actually were homosexuals. They were effeminate. As it says in some versions, mine says effeminate. Adulterers, fornicators, lying. He said, well, I didn't do any of those things. I certainly didn't commit murder. Well, Jesus said you did. He says, if you thought a bad thought in your, own, in your heart, you've murdered that person. Well, that makes us murderers, doesn't it? If you didn't have an adulterous affair, but you, you were tempted, and you kind of thought about those things and dwelled on it, now you are an adulterer. Uh, an adulterous murderer who practiced fornication. But Christ can wash Everyone, we were every one of those things by thinking. We were those. Such were some of us. Such were you. Such was me. And there's the balance because we can't go around condemning people without. We use truth and we say, here's what the scripture says, but I do want to tell you there is good news even for the whatever, the murderer. There's good news for that drunkard. If someone is a drunkard, he's going to hell unless he's washed by the blood of Christ. It just says it right there, doesn't it? But then it tells us what the good news is. If they repent, that's all part of this. And that's getting our sins forgiven. Entering in by the gate of the city, we see the ones who are outside we who trusted in Christ because of His blood shed, washed robes, enter the gates with thanksgiving for being cleansed and forgiven. And then we get verse 16, I, Jesus. You see, that's who's speaking in this whole text here. It goes all the way back to verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me. Who is that? Christ. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who's that? That's the one who's coming quickly. And then, of course, he speaks to the church, those who are blessed, then the ones who are outside the church. There's an invitation here. He says, if you'll see that you have a need, and look where you are, look where you're headed, there is a blessing there's an invitation. The blessing, the invitation actually goes out to everybody. 
There's a general call, and then there's the effectual call to the ones that are actually God's own possession. And He gives them to Jesus in John chapter 6. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. And later on, a few more verses, it'll say Jesus is testifying to these things. We have the witness of Jesus Christ. We have the witness of the angels. We have the witness of John. They're testifying as in a court case, witnessing that they're giving their witness, their testimony is true. I am the faithful and the true. Jesus is, he says. I've sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. That's to us. The truth is given. And then he says, I am the root. He's the root of David. What's that mean? He was here before David. You know what else it means? It means that he is deity. He is God. He is before David. David knew that. The Messiah was to be called the son of David. Because he also was not only the root of David, but he was the descendant of David. Isn't that great? Uh, he definitely was here before. And we've already seen that he is the beginning and the end. He is infinity. He's timeless. Jesus is the source of David's life. And the blessing of him being the king and the line of David. Jesus gave the source or the life and the line to David, who the Messiah would come from, not only from Judah, the tribe of Judah, but there was one in the tribe of Judah that would be the great king, who is David. For lack of time, this week I'm not going to go to First Samuel chapter seven, but there is a Second Samuel seven twelve through sixteen is the covenant made with David. God made a covenant with David, saying that there would be David. David is the king, and from the king there would be a Messiah coming, not just Solomon, but David. It's pointing to the Messiah. Who's the star of this text? Who is at center stage all the way through? So bright and morning star, he is the offspring of David, the root, the descendant, and the morning star. I like, uh, look at Psalm 132, 11 and 12, just for a moment. Psalm 132. I'm not going to try to turn to Isaiah whenever I turn to Psalms. <laughs> try to get this right this time. 132, 11 and 12. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. From the fruit of your body. This is even in Psalms here. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I will teach them, their sons shall sit upon your throne forever. All the way on through. It's the line of David, which is really the messianic line, but that was a promise that was like the covenant that was in Samuel. And 2 Timothy 2.8 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember, Jesus Christ. Isn't that what it's all about? Now look at this. Risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my Gospel. The descendant of David. It puts David in that text. But he's the promised one. The promised Messiah. To tell who he'd be coming from not only from Israel, not only from Abraham, not only from Jacob, not only from the tribe of Judah from Jacob, and not only from Judah, but David, and he would come through that line. So if you want to test who that person was, he has to be in all of those. If somebody claims to be Jesus, he has to be in those. He was. He is. Okay, he's the bright and morning star. I love that. 
the bright morning star. I don't know if uh, very many of you get up that early and see the last star that is shining, the bright morning star. That who is, is who Jesus is likened to. Did you know the first star that you see at night after the sun has set, or is even setting sometimes, the beautiful sunset has happened, guess what you see? A bright star up there. Actually, it's a planet called Venus. Have you seen it? The brightest star in the sky actually is Venus. And so therefore is the bright evening star. But what do you see of the morning just like that? Shining. The last one to see before the day breaks. And when the day breaks, we have light. We have plenty of light out there today, don't we? He's the bright morning star. He breaks through the darkness. Those names mean something, don't they? The root, the descendant of David, all about promise, the bright morning star. He's more brighter than all the others. When you think of star, you think of Hollywood stars. You think of baseball stars, football stars, all the athletes, they're stars. You think of the stars that are up in the heavens, the star, and here a good way to do it is the bright morning star. The star that came out of Jacob. In chapter 24 of Numbers, verse 17, it says that a star will come out of Jacob. So from, the, uh, from Jacob or Israel is going to be the Messiah, the star. You get more prophecies and all of this comes true. Those are promises. So, the arrival of the day. The rival of Jesus, he's the light of our day, isn't he? Second Peter one nineteen. But with precious Second Peter, get in the right book. Sorry about that. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. There is what happened to us spiritually already. The day star came. The morning star came to our hearts, didn't He? And we were, we were reborn. But there also is the morning star that is always there going on. The bright morning star, Christ. Revelation 2.28, you get the bright morning star mentioned there again. And I will give Him, this is the one who overcomes, I will give Him the morning star. John is revealing Christ to be the bright morning star. It's already dawned in our hearts. Someday we'll have Him in His fullness. Not just in our hearts alone. He will be in His fullness and we'll see Him as He is. Yes, we will see Christ. We'll see the morning star, the brightness of it all. One last thing, we're ready to close it up here. Are you ready for this? The Spirit and the Bride say come. Spirit of the Bride. You see, the Spirit calls out to people. He convicts the world of its sin. And righteousness, which is Christ, holy, and they see their sin and they see the holiness of God. And if they remain in that sin, uh, sin, righteousness, and judgment... That's what the Holy Spirit does. That sounds like the good news, doesn't it? We first have to hear the bad news, our sin and where we're at. And then the good news, and of course we see the holiness of God and it'll bring on judgment, won't it? The good news is after all that bad news that you can trust in Christ. 
The Spirit says, come. You know how the Spirit speaks to people today? Through the bride. Who's the bride? It's the church. This is today. This is not in the future, in the eternal state, because we don't offer invitations for people to come at that time. Everything's been sealed. It's done. So we won't be evangelizing even in that time period. It's all good news. I guess really that's the gospel of God. Evangelism in that way is good. It's good news. But I'm talking about preaching it to the lost because they won't be there. We'll be preaching to the choir. It'll go, oh, I already know that. <laughs> we already know what God has given us, right? Spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come. Those ones who hear and understand and realize that they are sinners and they are in great need. They are hungry. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are they because now they've always had the need they didn't know. There is a time for all ones who are going to be believers will recognize the need that they've always had and they'll see the great need and turn to Christ. They will come to Christ. And the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Let them come. The Holy Spirit says, the church says, come. Holy Spirit empowers us to invite people to Christ. Some of them will come. Come ye, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to Me, Christ says. I will give you rest. Christ alone. So the one who hears is the one who hears with believing ears. The one who is regenerated by the Holy Spirit is the one who comes. They're the thirsty ones. Look in John 6.37 and I promise we're right at the end. All that the Father gives Me will come to Me. And the one who comes to Me I will certainly not cast out eternal life forever. You are drawn. In 6.44 He says, No one can come to Me. They don't want to come unless the Father who sent Me draws Him and I'll raise Him up on the last day. Who are the ones to come? They're the ones that have been chosen by God to come. The invitation is to everybody. And we're to give the invitations to the murderers, to the homosexuals, to the effeminate, to sinners in general. Just sinners. Give them the Gospel. Say, come to Christ. If they belongs to Christ, they've come. Maybe not that time, but someday. Doesn't that give you assurance that you can't fail? When you get out the Gospel, it's up to God. You tell them that they're sinners, they need Christ. Make them thirsty. You know, we're called the salt of the earth. Probably many ways to take that. But one way is we can rub them a wrong way sometimes, but it's really the right way. But if you give somebody salt, enough salt, what's that going to make them do? Become thirsty. Eat some real good old salty, salty tortilla chips. Sooner or later, man, you'll be dying of thirst. Make them thirsty. Present the Gospel in a way that would appeal to them. Don't change the Gospel, but you see that individual and get on a level that they can understand it. God's Spirit will work where He works. The heart is parched. It's a prerequisite of repentance that He comes in and works on you and to make you understand your need. The one He's talking to here has ears to hear. They didn't before, they do now. The one who is thirsty, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. 
the water of life Jesus talked about in John 7. He said, I am the water of life. He who comes to Christ will never thirst. Ends with great news, doesn't it? God's Word. He has spoken through His Word. Dearly Father, thank You for this truth. Your truth. Lord, may we not be in error in any kind of interpretation. May we have been led by Your Holy Spirit for He is the only power for being able to, to read, to preach, to teach, to listen, to understand, to abide by it which is really meant for all of us, to live this out. And it's only because of God's Spirit we thank You, Lord, that we understand these words. They are precious. What great truth it is. It is refreshing to always read a portion of your Scripture and then just chew on it and think on it. As we go out of here today, may it not be a seed that we've had and then walk out the door and then we spill it on the where the sidewalk meets the asphalt driveway. But Lord, that it would stay in us and that we'd meditate on these truths that lead us to other truths that we'd think on it all day. Precious Lord, help us to be more like Christ. Help us to die to Christ. We still have a problem with ourselves. Our flesh still is here, Lord, and we know that one day it will not. In the meantime, help us to die to ourselves and live to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.